Uh, you have in your bulletin a printout of some Bible verses that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be moving back and forth from 1 Corinthians 11 to Exodus chapter 12, so that's helpful for you to have that, or you can have your finger in both passages in your Bibles. So maybe a disclaimer here, uh, George is sitting down here, and he just couldn't survive being in Florida for three days, so I'm here to, to kind of rescue him, but no, um, I was invited to minister this morning, it's my privilege, glad to do that, and uh, we're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table this morning. Now our messages are recorded, so there's podcasts. And we know that our missionaries uh, listen in on them. So hello to Rich and Lori Wyant in Zambia. And hello to John and Elise Stavropoulos in South Africa. So glad to have you listening in today with the family here at the Rock Community Church. The Lord Jesus gave the Apostle Paul directions to share with God's people. And so we have this passage that we are so familiar with in 1 Corinthians 11. And let me read uh, these first few verses. Would you stand together as we look at 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, as we stand before you today, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds to enter into the spirit of the Lord's table in this passage of scripture. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave everything so we could come to know you in a personal way. Bless us together. May you be honored for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. So my question to start off is, when we share the bread and juice together, what are we doing? What are we doing? Verse 26 sums it up this way. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim is translated in other versions as telling or announcing, sort of preaching. It's a, it's a silent message. Your, uh, Philip's paraphrasal says it this way, you are proclaiming that the Lord has died for you, and you will do that until he comes again. So the Lord's Supper is really an enacted sermon, as someone has described it. And the bottom line is that the Lord's Supper is all about judgment and sacrifice and rescue. 
judgment, sacrifice, and rescue. It's about the death and sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God, for our rescue from God's judgment. And it's important for us to know the story behind the story in Scripture. Whenever you read a passage, it's important to find out what's behind it, because there's always a background to it. And the letters of Paul to churches always have a background, a reason for being written. And if you read between the lines, you get a picture of what's behind it. What, why is he saying what he's saying? He just didn't decide to write a letter. He was addressing things in the audience that he was sending it to. So this passage in 1 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul to deal with the way the Lord's Supper was being abused in the church, the church that he had planted in the Greek city of Corinth. Uh, it was not a pretty city. <laughs> if you were known as a Corinthian, that meant you were a, you were a Las Vegas person, Hollywood person, in the bad sense. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 18 to 22 say this. So Paul, this is leading up to what he's saying in chapter 11. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that, that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to gods. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? So that's what's going on. Gives you a little more picture of this first generation uh, church that didn't have the heritage of Christianity because they were first generation Christians. And they've come out of paganism. And all this is in the background. So Paul's words are both corrective and instructive. And chapter 11 is the, the biblical manual on the Lord's table. So this first century church combined a common meal, a potluck meal, with the Lord's Supper. Uh, and Jude calls it a love feast or an agape feast, agape meal. This was a practice in the early churches to have a love, a love uh, fellowship. But their, their gatherings had become anything but a loving atmosphere. Their love feasts were actually divisive and, and hurtful. And you will notice in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, in verses 17 to 22, he says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. No doubt, and, and to some extent, I believe it. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? 
Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Wow, that's very, very direct, right? So we need to appreciate that kind of background to understand why he's saying what he's saying in this passage before us. So Paul is saying that their selfishness, over in chapter 3, he says their carnality. They were just acting like people who didn't know Jesus. They turned the church gathering into a self-centered food and drink orgy. And they made it an unloving and demeaning experience for others not sharing with, with them or waiting for others. So these believers in Corinth were coming to the Lord's table with a selfish spirit and an idolatrous heart. And you can read about that in the first 16 verses of chapter 10, but we won't look at that just now. So Paul contrasts the selfishness of these worldly acting believers with the selfless attitude of Jesus. And he tells them that just a short time before he knew, Paul is saying that just, before time, just a short time before Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper that pointed to his coming sacrifice for them. And this speaks to us in our day. We need to take care how we, quote, come to the table. It's possible for us to eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy way. And in verses 27 to 29, Paul talks about that, and he warns them against that. So whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So there are several things that I want us to notice in these verses in chapter 11 as we prepare to remember and proclaim Jesus' death for us as we preach that silent sermon this morning. And we need to keep in mind that this was not just a supper, you know, a family meal that we're having. This was a Jewish Passover meal or supper. And that's the backdrop to the Lord's Supper. And Paul points him to the origin of the Lord's Supper. And he says, he's really saying that the Lord's table is rooted in the Passover meal. And he starts off when he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. What was he doing on the night he was betrayed? What meal were they having? They were celebrating the annual Jewish Passover meal. So Paul takes them back to that. And Jesus is sharing that with his 12 disciples before he was crucified. The Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to read from Mark's account in chapter 14, verses 12 to 26, uh, describes it this way. Well, verse 22, Mark 14, 22. While they were eating the Passover, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they drank from it. Then he said, 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, where he would be betrayed. This was the one and only time I understand that Jesus hosted the Passover meal. Because you had to have a group of people to do that. And it was this Jewish meal on which he based the ordinance of the Lord's table. And this annual solemn religious meal had been observed for generations, ever since the exodus back in Egypt, of God's people from Egypt. And it looked back on their rescue and escape from 400 years of being slaves in that land. And so to understand the significance of the Lord's Supper, we must understand the significance of the Passover meal. It was a ceremonial meal, and it was legislated by God. In Exodus chapter 12, you find this statement in verse 24. Obey these instructions. This is Moses talking to the Israelite nation. Obey, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. It was like an anniversary meal. They ate in remembrance of that historical night in Egypt when God rescued his people from Egyptian slavery. Here's how the Jews for Jesus website summarizes the Passover meal. The themes of judgment and salvation are woven together beautifully in the Passover story. God poured out his judgment on the Egyptians, but spared the Israelites who obeyed him by placing the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes. Each year, Jewish families, even today, retell these events through the Seder, the ceremonial meal that commemorates Passover. Can you imagine what this must have been like for these Jewish families? Every year they would have this anniversary meal. They would gather and they would have this special meal. And there was a menu that was legislated as well. They owed their very existence to what happened on that night. It must have been a special time of thanksgiving to the Lord as they sat around the table sharing this solemn memorial meal and talking about what happened and why. And that's what Jesus and his apostles were doing as they shared this same annual Thanksgiving Passover night. It would have been deeply meaningful and sobering for the apostles with that same Jewish heritage. How much more sobering for Jesus himself as he prepared to humble himself and lay down his life for them the next day. This was not the focus of the Christians in the Corinthian church when they participated in the Lord's Supper. Far from it. They focused on themselves and they despised others at the church supper who had little. And the humble sacrificial attitude of Jesus was missing at the Lord's table. 
on the night he was betrayed, Jesus looked ahead to his sacrifice. When we meet for the Lord's table, we look back on his sacrifice. You and I share the Lord's Supper with a spirit of gratitude, or we ought to, for the, what the Lord has done for us through Christ. Some Christian churches call the Lord's Table the Eucharist, which simply means giving thanks, the thanksgiving. And we come to the table this morning. We ought to come to the table this morning. We must come to the table this morning with a spirit of gratitude for what God has done for us through Christ. We owe our spiritual life and our salvation to what Jesus did for us through his death. We are eternally indebted to Christ's sacrificial death for us, much like the people of Israel were indebted to God's protection the night the death angel passed over their homes in Egypt. So the Lord's Supper is rooted in the Passover meal. In addition to that, it's a picture. The Lord's Supper is pictured in that Passover meal. It, the Passover meal was actually and is a shadow or type of the Lord's Supper. Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. He took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. The Passover meal was called the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. We read about that in chapter 12 of Exodus. It was centered around the death of a sacrificial lamb. Exodus 12, verse 21. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood on the basin, and put some on the, of the blood on the top of the door and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. That was very serious. In each Jewish family, that historic night was told to take one of their valuable animals, a lamb, and it had to be a a, a, an unblemished lamb and sacrifice it roast it and eat it but take blood and spread it on top outside on their door there was a cloud of darkness and death and urgency around that original Passover meal it, it was a matter of life and death and it was a watershed moment in the history of the nation of Israel, it would be the end of bondage and the beginning of freedom. And each family had to sacrifice one of their own lambs. If they didn't, every firstborn person in that room and every firstborn of the animals in their flock or herd would die that night, along with thousands of firstborn Egyptians and firstborn animals in the land. I don't think we get the picture of that. I don't think we grasp that. At midnight, we read in Exodus 12, verse 29, 
At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And if you know how Eastern people mourn, you can picture the wailing, the grief. And that's what eventually broke the stubborn will of Egypt's Pharaoh and forced him to allow the nation of Israel to leave. Read on in the next verse, verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. On that original night, the angel of death passed over the homes of the Israelites where he saw the sign of the blood smeared on the front door. It was a sign that life had been sacrificed for their sakes. You see, the sacrifice of their lambs was to be an act of faith, an act of obedience to the Lord. It would also be their salvation from God's judgment on the pride of Egypt, the Pharaoh and the gods. The pride, the death of all their firstborn. That's a family's pride, right? Their firstborn is it's my first child. There's pride in that, in animals. That first sacrifice protected their ancestors from God's judgment on the land and the gods of Egypt. Now, fast forward to 2,000 years ago. Jesus and his apostles sat around sharing that same memorial meal And they were likely, that is the disciples, they were likely totally oblivious to what it foreshadowed about Jesus' death. It wasn't even in their remotest thoughts. The bread and the cup were part of the annual Passover meal. To them, it was a symbolic memorial meal. It was just bread and wine. Jesus didn't add these. He took what they were already doing at that meal and he used what was in the meal. To them, it was just bread and wine but not to Jesus. He ate the Passover meal knowing that the bread and the cup represented his own body and blood that would be offered in sacrifice. And that is why he said what he did from that night on, the bread and the cup or the juice would represent and speak of him. Later that evening, he would writhe in physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual torment and agony as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. In his humanness, he saw what was ahead of him. Those believers that Paul wrote to in the church at Corinth were completely oblivious to the suffering of Christ for their sins. The Lord's Supper had become an empty church custom. And that's what we must guard against for ourselves. Each time we share the Lord's Supper, we need to intentionally look back to Jesus' death on the cross. We look back to what the Passover looked forward to, the sacrifice of Christ's lamb, of God's lamb. 
There's a certain belief that we have when we do the Lord's table. Certain belief about the bread and the juice and the body and blood of the, of the Lord. No, we don't believe that we eat and drink the actual body and blood of the Lord when we take communion. We don't believe it turns into. Now, that's what one person who's wrote a, written about this, his name is Clint, he was taught this and believed it as a child. He said, quote, as a kid, I enjoyed our weekly catechism classes more than most. I aced the dogma quizzes on communion. Trans equals change. Thus, transubstantiation is the mystical change of substance from bread to flesh, literal flesh. He says, it was common for me to get the chills, move with wonder at the ethereal sound of the altar boy's chimes, sounded at the precise moment at which the bread of communion changed substance into the body of Christ. He says, eventually he came to study the Bible and he says, now I believe that the bread is a symbol of Christ's body like the wine is a symbol of his blood. We partake in remembrance of his death, not as an act of sacrificing him again and again. End of quote. The Lord's Supper is not a mystical religious ritual, nor is it a dead religious ritual. It's full of meaning and purpose. It's about Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And it was horrendous for him. He would bear the collective sins of all humanity for all time in his own body and take our guilt on himself. Think about that. Jesus is our reference for what sin is. You know, we have our own definitions. Well, that's not so bad. But Jesus came to make it very clear what he means, what sin is and what sin isn't. And so he defined it. Uh, here's a passage in Matthew 5. I, I won't, uh, I haven't, I'm just going to read it, but it's, you'll recognize this passage, part of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But if I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at another person lustfully has already committed adultery with that person in his heart. That's what sin is. People of his day, they were concerned about being ceremonially clean. You know, if you're out shopping, you came home and you did this ceremony hand wash to, so you'd be clean before God. And Jesus said, the, th the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Do you ever have the, a thought like this? Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And I suggest that many of these things have passed through our minds. We may not have allowed them to stay, 
but in our sinful nature, those things pass through our mind. So let's estimate that just once a day, you and I are guilty of something that God says is sin, that Jesus says is sin, just once a day, either, either by omission, what we should have done, or by commission, what we did do. So just once a day, you and I are guilty of a sin in our thoughts, or our desires, our words, or our behavior. In just 10 years, that's 3,650 sins. At just once a day. Now multiply that by the billions of people that have lived, that are living, and will yet live. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus knew that he would become sin for all of those, of those sins and would answer for the sins of every human being for, of all time. And not only that, he would receive on himself the collective eternal judgment of God meant for every person, past, present, and future. And he would bear everyone's judgment on himself. His soul, Isaiah said, would be made an offering for sin. Not just his body, but his person, his soul, the Son of God. That is what was on Jesus' mind as he shared the Passover meal with his apostles. And that's what he look, was looking ahead to on his death the next day. So to the Corinthians, that's what they should have been thinking about when they met for their fellowship meals on the Lord's table. And this is what we believe about Jesus' death and what we proclaim when, he, when, he, when we participate in the Lord's table. What we're saying is, he did it for me. It's a statement of faith, of ownership. He did it for me. The Lord's Supper is certainly rooted in the Passover meal, that Old Testament meal. It's foreshadowed in that Old Testament meal. It's, all, it's also the fulfillment of that Old Testament Passover meal. And so reading again from what, Je what Paul says, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, so this is the fulfillment of the Passover meal. This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So the ceremonial Passover meal that Jesus hosted with his disciples not only looked back at the Exodus Passover, it looked ahead to Jesus' actual death on the cross the next day. It was on the night that he was betrayed. And the timing of the institution of the Lord's Supper was not coincidental. This was intentional. So what do I mean by the fulfillment of the Passover meal? Well, first of all, the Lord's table marks the transition from the type or the shadow to the actual. Because every Passover lamb was just a type, a shadow of the real sacrifice that would come. Jesus is the real Passover lamb that all the previous lambs represented and pointed to. Remember John the Baptist 
when he first found out who Jesus, the Messiah, was, he pointed him out and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 5, verse 7, says this, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And as we share the Lord's Supper, we remember the sacrifice of the ultimate Lamb of God for our sakes. So it marks a transition from the shadow to the real. It also marks a trans transition from the physical to the spiritual. The original Passover of God's judgment on the Egyptians saved the Israelites from physical death. The Lord's Passover gave them physical freedom and a new life after Egypt. Every annual Passover supper looked back on Israel's protection from the judgment of physical death. And in the spiritual, the Lord's Supper looks back on our protection from spiritual death, from eternal separation from God. The scripture says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That is separation from God, from life with him, from fellowship with him, from being in his presence. And we were separated from God because we were sinners, the scriptures tell us. The good news is that Jesus died for us while we were still in that relationship of spiritual death or separation. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But the good news, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So at the Lord's table, we look back on how God rescued us from his spiritual judgment on us that we rightfully deserve. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. His blood atones, answers for, covers our sins, satisfies God's judgment on the fact that we are sinners. And his body is represented by the bread and his blood is represented by the juice. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. And Paul tells the Corinthian church and us that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a silent sermon. I believe Jesus died for me, for my sins. It's our collective testimony meal about Jesus' death for our spiritual exodus from spiritual death to spiritual life. We do it together. It's not done in isolation. It's intended to be done together as the body of Christ. But it matters how we come to the table. I believe it's important for us to come to the table in the right spirit. Let me suggest three. We must come in the spirit of faith, of belief. The faith factor is at the heart of both the original Passover and the Lord's Supper. Here's how the Israelites acted in faith in God's plan for their protection when Moses told them what to do to escape the angel of death. He said, uh, and he told them, and then it says, then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. They believed it. <laughs> they believed it and they took ownership of it. Imagine that night back in Egypt, a Jewish family that night who chose to ignore 
Moses' instructions and the directive about taking one of their choice lambs, sacrificing it, roasting it and eating it and smearing the blood outside on the door. Imagine them not doing anything for whatever reason. If they did nothing, they would suffer the same death of any firstborn adult or child in their home and the death of all their firstborn animals. But the good news is that anyone can act in faith and call on the name of the Lord. Apply that to us. That's the good news. Jesus gave his life so he could save us from our sins and take God's eternal judgment. We can act in faith. We can believe it. Acting, belief is an action. We actually choose to believe it for ourselves. But to do nothing is to continue to live under the eternal judgment of God. To, if you have not done anything about it, and you walk out of here today in that spirit and that attitude, you continue to live under God's judgment. Good news is we don't have to. Jesus' invitation to the Lord's Supper is to those who have acted in faith and claimed Jesus as their sacrifice and their way of forgiveness and eternal life. It's saying, I believe for myself that Jesus died as a sacrifice for my sins and I'm trusting him as my Savior. Secondly, we must come in the spirit of understanding. When Jewish families today have the Seder, the annual Passover meal, it's the custom for the youngest in the, in the room to ask the question, what does this mean? And that's just following through what we saw in Exodus. So grandpa or dad or whatever, what does this mean? That's, that's a ritual. And so they take time then to carefully explain the meaning. And that's what the Corinthian believers should have been asking themselves as they gather for the Lord's Supper. What are we doing? They'd been coming to the Lord's table with a case of poor spiritual insight. They lacked discernment. They were not seeing Jesus in the Lord's Supper. And they were not respecting the body of Christ. And Paul warns them about this. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. It's not about being unworthy to participate. It's about participating in an inappropriate way. The same idea is used when Paul talks about walking worthy of God. What is appropriate, what's fitting. Paul reminds the Corinthian church that the Lord's table is about sharing with Jesus. He asks them this question, and this is in chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. The spiritual significance of eating the bread and drinking the juice is that we are 
doing this together with one another. That's why it's called communion. Common union. Common sharing. It's the rationale for what we're going to do after we leave here this morning. And we invite you to the Soup and Bun Fellowship. It's not about soup and buns, it's about fellowship. It's about continuing in the spirit of what we've been doing at the Lord's table. It's an extension of our common sharing. And so we gather together just to spend time together in fellowship. And if you're able to, we, we encourage you to come uh, soon after we leave the service this morning. And we understand if you're not able to, that's, that's okay too. But we want you to know that this is for just to be together because this is what brings us together. That's the common denominator for us. It's the death of Jesus Christ for us. And we must come in a spirit of repentance. I don't know if this ever happened in your home. I can't remember it happening in my home. But anyhow, suppose you as a parent, you're at the table, and one of your kids come, and they're in a bad mood. Not that they've done anything wrong. They're just in a bad mood, bad attitude. And so, as a parent, you say, okay, you may be excused, and when you're ready to come back to the table, you're welcome. That's, that's good parental advice, I guess, if you want to practice that. The Corinthians were not only coming to the table of the Lord without seeing Jesus represented in the bread and the juice. They were also coming to the table with bad behavior. Some of them were guilty of sexual immorality. You can read about that in chapter 6, 18 to 20. Some were guilty of eating food offered to idols in pagan temples, chapter 6, 20 to 22. There's a lot of stuff. And that's why Paul pointed them to the fact that Jesus was their Passover lamb sacrificed for them. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Then he says, he urged them, let us keep the festival with the bread of sincerity and truth. The unfortunate, sad thing is that some of the Corinthians we're already paying for participating in the Lord's table in the wrong way and in the wrong spirit. The Holy Spirit gave Paul this spiritual insight to know that some of their people were under God's judgment because they did not discipline themselves about the, when it involved the Lord's Supper. He says in chapter 11, 27 to 29, those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you Corinthians are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. A number of you have died. Because this was God's discipline. God was spanking them. So we need to come to the Lord's table in humility and acknowledge that we are sinners saved by grace. It's only through God's mercy and grace that we are forgiven and restored to our Heavenly Father. So Paul adds, verse 28, 
everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. It doesn't say don't. It says first check yourself spiritually so that you come in the, the right belief system, you come in the right uh, spirit, including a repentant spirit. So I want us to take just a moment. Dan is going to be coming in just a moment to lead us in our coming to the Lord's table. But I invite you to reflect, perhaps if you'd like to close your eyes, just reflect on what God's word says to us. And I will ask you this question. Can you say that you are actually owning Christ for yourself? You've claimed Jesus as your savior. You've claimed his sacrifice for you, for your sins, for your forgiveness. And this is a good time to begin. And for those of us who are believers, is there anything in my life, in my thoughts, in my spirit, in my behavior, that's out of place as I take this today? We're not talking about being perfect. Just anything that's out of place. This is a time to repent and claim God's forgiveness. Gracious Father, you're gentle with us. You're merciful and gracious. We come to you this morning with complete confidence in what Christ, who Christ is and what he's done for us. We thank you. Amen.